we're very good at justifying why we can't do things. Building confidence, letting go of fear comes from trying things and sometimes trying things and sometimes not getting very far, sometimes trying things and thinking this isn't for me, sometimes trying things and thinking, look what I've found. This is amazing. Actually, literally and metaphorically getting out the door sometimes is really difficult. Welcome back to Head Right Out. This is episode 18 and today is the 8th of February 2022. We're marching on with these episodes and with the year. My name is Zoe Langley-Wathen and I am just so excited to be bringing you another episode with another amazing, resilient woman. And today it is the turn of Ruth Pickvance. But first I would like to ask if you haven't already voted for Head Right Out in the Sports Podcast Awards, we have just three more weeks of public vote. And I would be so grateful if you could head over to sportspodcastawards.com and click on the best urban and adventure category and vote for Head Right Out. Please make that your goal to do that today if you haven't done it already. I was really excited actually to see that Head Right Out had moved up to third place on the leaderboard in the Sports Podcast Awards. So I know it's going to move, but it is so good for me to see it in the top three. I'm obviously independent. Then in second place is a podcast run by Red Bull called How to Be Superhuman. And in first place is the Tough Girl podcast, which is my friend Sarah Williams. Joe Mosley, our other wonderful guest that we had on recently in the in series one is also in the same category so these rankings move up and down all the time but I just was so excited to see it in the top three okay today is a slightly different type of episode I had microphone problems when I recorded this episode with Ruth two or three weeks ago totally my error and it's something that I've learned a lot from but unfortunately the audio on my side was just not listenable. So I've re-recorded a lot of what I said with Ruth and it means that the format is going to be slightly different this week but I've chopped and changed it around and added a little bit of music in here and there and so I hope you'll still enjoy the episode. I think it works. I'd actually be really interested to hear your feedback to let me know if it's worked for you, if you preferred it or if you can't wait for me to get back to the usual format. I know change sometimes, particularly in audio, can be quite grating if it's something that you're not used to. But yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. Okay, so I will be talking to Ruth Pickvance and we're going to be talking about what fear means to her, how she's dealt with fear over the years and we're going to be talking about her racing days as an international fell runner and marathon runner and how her life has been changed by it really and where it's led her to now what she's doing now is actually it's so empowering what her business element offers particularly women in the outdoors her business is called element so 
Let's get into that episode and hear more about what Ruth has been up to over the last 40 years. Hello again, everybody. I am so excited today because I am talking to Ruth Pickvance. She's a lady that I came across back in 2018 at the Women's Adventure Expo and she's been on my radar ever since to talk to her about fear-facing and being active in the outdoors and really just encouraging women to get outside and move their body because that is what Ruth is all about. So Ruth is the founder and director of Element, a company that offers quality courses and adventures based in nature. Ruth's been an international mountain runner and former British fell champion with GB and England representation and she's run a few fast marathons. Now retired from racing and based in the Black Mountains, there's nothing that she loves more than exploring wilder nature, mountain landscapes and enthusing people, particularly women, to appreciate the natural world. I am so, so delighted that Ruth said yes to come on Head Right Out. And I shared with her that she had been in my list, well, I think I'd been planning to start the podcast for about three years, and she was in my phone list of women to contact right at the very beginning because I met her at this Framing Fear workshop that was held at the Women's Adventure Expo back in 2018, October 2018. And what she shared just blew me away the things that she talked about everything just connected and joined together all the dots of what I was trying to achieve and I learned I actually learned so much from attending that workshop so I ask Ruth about her running days and when I say running I don't mean just you know going out for a run because I know she still runs now but her racing days. I asked Ruth what it was to her, what it meant to her. It was kind of odd, really, because I started racing what would be considered quite late on. I didn't really even run when I was at school. I classically used to stay off school when it was the annual cross-country day, I mean, isn't it interesting the way life goes, you know? And so I think I was about 26 when I started actually running. And this was in the mid-1980s. And not many women were fell running then at all. It was a very, very male-dominated world. And I think it was in about 1985, I was in the Lake District with my sister. I think it was Christmas and it had snowed and it was all blue skies and amazing. And we just happened upon a fell race. And there were all these people running in the snow down a mountain in the Lake District. And it was like a blow to the heart, really. I just thought this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I, I want to do this. Now, this is somebody who never run a step in their life. And I said to my sister, I'm going to come back and do this next year. And she said, but you don't even run. And I didn't. And I was working in the Midlands at the time. I'm from the north of England originally, but I was working in the Midlands. And I did what I thought you needed to do to start running. So I bought myself a pair of trainers and I used to go out running at lunchtime every day, four miles. And I did go back the following year to the Lake District and 
I did do the race and I think I finished second from last. My sister's got one of these terrible photos. You know, the old old days, the false photos, you, you never got what you wanted in shot and everybody was miles away and so on. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of me finishing this race and I'm wearing totally unsuitable stuff and like a blue V-neck wool jumper, a pair of enormous Adidas tracksuit bottoms. And I finished and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And I just thought, well, I don't think I'm going to do any more of this at all because it hurt so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I actually got very good very quickly. And I think that helped. So that was the kind of start of it all. And I did get very good very quickly. By 1989, I was British Fell champion. Something hit a chord with me about the sport. And I don't quite know what it was, but it was something about fell running particularly is about self-sufficiency. It's about being out in nature. It's about needing to look after yourself, really. It feels very close to the elements somehow. And and I just think it touched something that was very me at the time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that kicked off a, a very big racing career for me. Bearing in mind that Ruth said that running really wasn't her thing when she was younger, I thought it would be really interesting to know how old she was when she started racing. I think I was about 26. I'd always walked in the mountains, so I did have a kind of intrinsic love of the mountains. And our very early family holidays were all about getting out on Lake District mountains and My dad used to do us a little badge the next day for the mountain that we climbed and so on. So in my wellies, I could never have any any walking boots until my feet had stopped growing, you know. So (laughs) those were our very early family holidays. And so I did have that background. You want to start fell running now. You know, if you've never done any, fell walking is also brilliant to get you going, to get those muscles used to going up and going down. Yeah. And, and you know, women that come on my beginning fell running for women course think they're never going to be fit enough because they're never going to be able to run up mountains. And I say to them, look, most of the top runners don't run up mountains. They they kind of walk. They might jog if it gets easier. But a lot of it's done at a, a really hard walking pace. So shouldn't let that put you off, really. I think that's really interesting, too, because when I was running, I'm not running anymore, but when I was running, I did the Gold Hill 10 down in Shaftesbury in Dorset. And literally within the first minute of starting the race, you are going straight up Gold Hill. Other people might know that as Hovis Hill. (laughs) Right, yes. And I just remember being able to run that. I wasn't a strong runner by any means. I wasn't fast. I hadn't been doing it that long. I think because Mm. of being used to walking Mm. um, up and down hills, particularly Mm. along the Jurassic Coast where I was living then, I think it put me in a good position to be able to run up that hill. So there were a lot of people were walking up. Mm. What I couldn't do was run down. I struggled so much with running downhill because of that fear of falling. Mm. But the power that I had and the strength I had in my legs to be able to run uphill because of the walking I've been doing was definitely mm. there. And I'm mm. sure you, you probably get that a lot, don't you, with women... Yeah. And we spend a lot of time when I'm when I'm running courses on this, we spend a lot of time on running downhill. Mm -hmm. And 
as much time on the like you were talking about the fear there the psychological factors that stop us that hold us back that put the brakes on for us and it's it's ironic really because sometimes the fear of falling actually makes you more susceptible to falling and if you just relax and you let go and you go with the flow a little bit more you find the feet look after themselves you know it's 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 very interesting it's like skiing you know when you go skiing and you I, I mean I'm a terrible downhill skier ironically because I'm a very good downhill runner but you know when you go skiing and you're not meant to lean back into the slope because it kind of makes you go faster but you're leaning back into the slope because you're frightened and therefore you want to get closer to the ground and all it does is speed you up you know it's a bit the same with bell running really yeah. if you're afraid you start to do all the things that you shouldn't be doing so yeah I do find this incredibly fascinating and so I asked Ruth how you let go when your brain is telling you (laughs) that it doesn't want to let go you know if you're really pent up and tight with that fear how do you just think right let's do this Right. I think you stop trying to run for a start and you perhaps go back to walking and you perhaps go back to faster walking and you perhaps then graduate into a tiny little bit of a jog and so on. You know, sometimes you can just take a very short section and just do it repeatedly because sometimes familiarity will give you a real confidence I started mountain biking about four or five years ago now, and I'm I'm okay. I'm really enjoying it. I'm not particularly good, and that's that's actually not a very helpful thing to say because I'm actually quite good now compared to how I was when I started. <laughs> but I've actually found going over the same routes really helpful, and I'm now cycling down things that I was getting off the bike and walking down. I say to people build into it. I think women particularly have got this incredible perfectionism about themselves. They Mm -hmm. have to feel like they can totally do it before they start or before they'll give themselves any credibility Mm -hmm. for doing it. And, you know, it's absolutely fine not to be able to do it to start off with and not to be particularly brilliant to start off you know it doesn't doesn't actually matter so coming back to your question of how do you get over that fear barrier I think there's lots of ways I think you know I think it applies to lots of things in life as well really you know don't try and be brilliant from the word go don't be too perfectionist about things know that it's a journey go back graduate into it have a go and just yeah I love this message that Ruth is sharing with us. And so I asked her, had she always been resilient? Does she feel like that she's always had it there or has she had to work up to being resilient? I mean, I think that's a very interesting question. I I ran a workshop a couple of years ago on building resilience for runners, but I think everything for runners applies to life as well, really. And it's a, it's a very interesting area. I think it's something that we're constantly building. I don't think building resilience is a line that we cross. One day we're not resilient and then we do a few things and then we are resilient. I think life is constantly putting things in our path 
where we need different sorts of resilience, where we need to reevaluate, you know, the territory changes really. I think building resilience is all sorts of things. I think, you know, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's it's extremely mental. And I think it's a learning game. I think, again, you have to have some sort of patience. I think curiosity about what has happened, what would you like to happen, you know, what didn't work, why are you in the state that you're in, why didn't you do particularly well in a race. I think curiosity is an essential component in building personal resilience. In some ways, I am very resilient. I think I've had a lot of practice at building physical resilience. And I also notice there are things that drop into my path even now that completely undermine me and and, and I feel not resilient. So I, I think it's a constant journey. I find myself that, you know, it's sort of detaching from things sometimes and reflecting on them, looking at things holistically can really help me and, and so on. And and reevaluating what you need, you know. I mean, I'm not I'm not the racer that I was. I'm in a very different space now. Different things are challenging me. Ruth and I both agreed that that is just life. The things we learn carries us through those challenges. It's not always easy, but it's quite reassuring and I think, you know, for somebody listening to this that perhaps feel like they're lacking in confidence or lacking in resilience, I think what Ruth is suggesting is that they can layer it up, they can rebuild it, and that there are ways of doing that. But just know that there's not a line that you cross where suddenly you become resilient. I think that's what Ruth is saying. It's something that you just build on over and over and over throughout your life. So this might sound a bit vague, but I now step into this question of asking Ruth what fear means to her. Because if resilience is something that isn't aligned and that you go from one to the other, and fear is quite closely linked with perhaps somebody that has less resilience, what is fear to Ruth? Well, you know, I think we're all quite good. And I have to say, particularly as women, this is my experience of unpicking ourselves and far less good at building ourselves up. We're very good at justifying why we can't do things. Confidence and to to some extent, fear, building confidence, letting go of fear comes from trying things and sometimes trying things and sometimes not getting very far sometimes trying things and thinking this isn't for me sometimes trying things and thinking look what I found this is amazing actually literally and metaphorically getting out the door sometimes is really difficult and I would say you know that getting out of the door is very often the thing that if you don't get out of the door, you you stay in this sort of fearful kind of loop, really. And it's strange because life changes. And I think as you get older, 
it gets harder to do that. I think our self-preservation kicks in quite hard as we start to get older. And this can often be triggered by physical things going wrong with us. You know, my joints ache now in the way that they didn't take before, you know, and, I, and I'm constantly thinking, Mm, should I actually go out this far? Or mm, maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go a slightly shorter distance on the bike today or whatever. And so we start to contract, we start to close down. And really, we still need to keep pushing out and getting out in the broadest sort of sense, really, whether that means taking up something new, exploring somewhere different, and so on. So we can get very quickly into this sort of negative cycle, I feel which becomes quite difficult to break. We're odd as a human species. We know what we need and we don't do it. And that keeps us in the place that we're in. So I mean, I don't put myself above this. I get into it myself sometimes. And it's a real big effort. I think noticing it is the first step towards doing something about it, really. Most things are not actually as frightening as they seem. We're creating the fear what will people think of me if I if I have a go at this race and I come last and so on? So I think noticing that, being aware of it, noticing our processes is, is really important to getting rid of fear. Yeah. Hmm. So much interesting stuff here. Now, I wasn't actually going to ask Ruth this, but it just came up for me. And that was a question regarding the menopause. And I think what I got was that Ruth was talking about there with how very often our bodies change. We start noticing things that happen in our body. And we can talk ourselves into not going out. And we can talk ourselves into not doing things or fearing doing things. And I went through that whole thing about six months ago. My joints started aching and I was thinking gosh you know I was walking up the hills here quite regularly just a few months ago and now I don't even feel like I can walk along the towpath without my hips hurting or my knees hurting and it was a while before I made that connection with ah this could be perimenopause and so I asked Ruth if that was something that she discovered with her fell running around that time of life and I just clarified her age with her because I had an inkling she was 60 now and I just needed to check I had that right. I I am 60 yes I mean I think the whole menopause thing is really really interesting I mean I absolutely loved racing and I'll talk a bit more about racing a, a little bit later on. I think this whole menopause thing is absolutely fascinating and difficult and appalling the way it's covered in society it's getting a little bit better now but generally speaking I mean I was at the height of my career as are most women when the menopause kicks in I was a head of faculty in an international sixth form college I was managing a department of 10 staff I was teaching full-time I was running still running and I was running all sorts of extracurricular stuff. And suddenly you can't sleep and you feel like you are totally, you go from being in control to being on the back foot the whole time. It's like the rug gets pulled from underneath you. So you've got all of that to sort of cope with really. 
everybody's different. I mean, I think everybody's bodies are different. Uh, what one woman's experience of the menopause will be not the another woman's experience of the menopause. And then there's a sort of second stage of it, really, where you, you sort of go through that stage and out the other end. And then you come into all of the aftermath of that, which can very much involve aching joints and so on. I found it very useful to exercise through that time for me. I love swimming. I mean, I swim every day if I if I can. First thing in the morning, wonderful group of women that I swim with, all different ages, all different abilities. Well, of course, I had to find out from Ruth whether she was doing indoor swimming or outdoor swimming. Indoor pool, Zoe, yeah. yeah. No, I haven't got into outdoor swimming yet. Just this sort of wonderful group of women that swim and we have the most fantastic conversations in the showers afterwards and it just sets us all up for the day. So, love my swimming. I think running gets harder. I think you need to really mix it around. As you get older, I have found taking off the watch and not timing myself very helpful go with what you feel like so I cycle I swim I do some strength work I'm very active I've got 10 acres of land so that's also good I am not capable of what I was capable of 10 years ago let alone 20 years ago and you know what that's okay Mm. and you've got to say that to yourself that is how it is and I still love walking I still love getting out and I will do something every day you know, some days much more active than others. Notice that I haven't got the longevity that I used to have in terms of exercise and length of time to be active and so on. But I am still fit. I've still got good muscle quality. And yeah, I I just think it's really hard sometimes to haul yourself out when you're when you're feeling like that during the menopause and and actually do something but I I really think it works in a positive way mentally as well. I've heard this from so many people about exercise being such a positive transition through perimenopause or just to help them through those tough days. Jo Mosley was another woman I spoke with and a great example of someone who benefited from this. She was previously on the podcast in Series 1 and when she chatted with me she shared how a friend of hers lent her a rowing machine and how much rowing and other exercise helped her mental health as much as her physical health. It supported her through some of the major parts of perimenopause in which she experienced almost all of the documented symptoms. Yeah, and I would say there are a lot of doctors and a lot of GPs now who are starting to specialise much more in menopause and in HRT. And I think if you're really debilitated with it all, look at HRT. It's not it's not the demon it was made out to be by the media. If it gives you your equilibrium back for five years, it's worth it. It's not for everybody and not everybody needs it. But You know, I do know there are a lot of GPs now who are starting to train much more in this. And there are specialist clinics as well that you can go to and see somebody who's uh, who's really qualified in this. Mm, That's really useful. And yeah, I hope that anybody else listening who is also going through this will take your advice on that. Yeah. yeah, So exercise, have a conversation with your GP and 
if you're fearing things more than you were perhaps previously, perhaps this is something to, to look at. It might be perimenopause that's actually starting that anxiety or that fear of stepping yes. out and, and trying something new or even just stepping out. And for me, I, I did have a few few months there where I was not actually wanting to go out. And I thought, this is really odd. Why am I doing this? I felt almost like I was hibernating. I was mm. starting to mm. withdraw. And yes, that's not like me at all. Hmm. So the Framing Fear workshop that I came on back in 2018, I made notes at that workshop and mm. I found it so helpful and I learned so much about the, I guess, the theory behind why we fear things. And, and, mm. and actually what I, what I brought away from your workshop was that fear is actually healthy and we just need to find a new way of looking at it. Mm. And I think a couple of things, one of the things actually that I did, I highlighted here on in my notes, and it's something that you've touched on already, and that was bring more curiosity to your fear. And, mm. and I loved that because that actually highlighted to me that I needn't resist it. I just need to explore it more, I think. Mm. Can you talk a little bit more about that curiosity? Yeah, yeah. well, I think... Bringing curiosity to it, Zoe, is all about unpicking it, really, isn't it? Mm. So it's kind of, I don't know, let's take an example of open water swimming. No, I don't want to start open water swimming. I'm afraid and I'll be cold, whatever that might be. And so you don't go and somebody's asking you and you don't go. But how useful it might be to say, actually, what is it that I'm afraid of? Okay. I'm actually afraid that I might not be able to get the wetsuit on or that I might look fat in the wetsuit or that actually the water might be too cold for me or I might not be able to swim very well or whatever. So if you know what those things are, you can then do something about it. So how about if you say, okay, I'll put the wetsuit on, I'll put dry robe over, I'll then just go into the water. I won't even try and swim. I'll just go into the water for a minute and then I'll come out again and then I'll take the wetsuit off and maybe next time I'll go in for two minutes and then I'll come out again and so on. Unpicking it as to as to kind of what it is that's stopping you mm. is is really interesting rather than sticking in that, no, I can't go because I'm afraid. So it gives you the tools, I think, to do something about it in a way. I asked Ruth, had she ever found herself having to use those tools, like the things that she perhaps talks to other people about? Does she suddenly think, oh gosh, come on, you need to start, Ruth, you need to start talking your own talk? Because if she's anything like me, I'm talking to people all the time about facing fears and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And yet sometimes I find I'm having to dig really deep to push myself to do those things. Absolutely. I don't, I mean, I don't put myself above any of it, really. 
I've had to do it with mountain biking orienteering. So I have taken up mountain biking and I love adventuring and I love exploring. And there are local events which are mountain biking orienteering events and you get given a map and you've got to visit as many checkpoints as you can in three hours and you know you're talking to someone here who's used to winning I mean I like winning you know and I just I, I started going to these events and I and I was coming last and I was just thinking I don't know how I'm going to get any better I don't I don't know what am I doing I'm hopeless I'm hopeless and I'd make every navigational error in the book and I'd get timed out I'd arrive back too late and so on and yeah, I mean, I was just giving myself a really hard time over it. And I was actually thinking I'm not going to go anymore because I'm just too hopeless. And I, you know, I'm looking stupid here and I'm meant to be this great ex-athlete and I'm just coming last, you know. And and yeah, useful for me to unpick it, actually. And I'm in a, a great space with it now and just unpicked what I was stalling on. So one of the things I do, and I don't know if other people do this, is that when I'm really kind of nervous or don't particularly want to do something or a bit afraid of it, I don't actually get prepared. So I leave preparation until the very last minute. So I'd be rushing around in the morning for this mountain biking orienteering, getting my kit together and forgetting half of it. That was so unhelpful. And I just kind of noticed that. And it's just like, how would it be, Ruth, if you just got ready the night before and put everything that you needed and really thought about this? Give it half an hour to actually get ready. We are strange creatures. You know, we really do things that unpick us sometimes rather than help us. So that was something. Make sure your bike's in good working order. Check it over. Give it a clean, you know, put yourself in control of this thing. Get to the start in good time. You know, get one of those clipboards that everybody's got to put their map on. Why do you, you know, why are you constantly taking your map out of your pocket and just small things? They were really small things. And, you know, the last mountain bike and orienteering event that I did, I finished halfway up the field and it was like, yes. <laughs> so I'm on a roll now. And, and also I was going on my own. And I think that's really difficult. It's a different thing if you're doing these things with other people. You've got, and I always say to people, you know, starting off running, starting off fell running, find someone to go with. It's so much more fun. You pull each other along, you make each other get out. And I think sometimes it's quite hard if you if you have to do things on your own. And uh, I had to do this on my own and I, I still do it on my own. So yeah, I can't find anyone to come with me. Oh. <laughs> I had Ruth's mountain biking course earmarked for me to do. I turned 50 last year and I think it was within two days of my birthday and I thought this would have been a great thing for me to do for my 50th and I can't remember why I didn't but I know something cropped up and I just knew that there was going to be no way I would be able to manage it but it's still earmarked. Because again, I have this fear of heights and particularly the fear of falling, the fear of coming down, down a hill. It's, it's all something that I am working on managing and learning to deal with. But yeah, yeah, at some point I need to feel that joy that Ruth is feeling about mountain biking. 
I think the mountain biking is a really interesting thing because I put this course on thinking, you know, it's just a fantastic way to get out into nature and it's easier on your joints. It's if you're a runner and you're injured, it's another good way where you can still do things and so on and so forth. And it's very interesting talking to my participants because it's actually a very male dominated world mountain biking. I've actually hesitated to call it mountain biking because I think it carries with it this sense of bike parks and really difficult descents. And we don't do any of that. We build confidence. We go on rideable trails. We go on a beautiful route on the Sunday and people are amazed at what they have ridden. Women are amazed at what they've ridden. But we spend all of Saturday building confidence and we spend Sunday on a joyous ride. And that's, to me, what it should be. You know, I, I mean, it's just really interesting. When I've spoken to people, I've said, you know, what's your experience? Oh, I went, my boyfriend took me to a mountain bike park and it was awful. I got really freaked out. And I get freaked out at mountain bike parks and that is not what we're doing. So, yeah, fascinating, really. And it, it's opened up a whole new world to me. I'm I'm just loving it. And in this area of South Wales that we both live in, mm. there's tons to go at. And it's just been great. And we have a, a superwoman, Claire, and she's 60. And she's our main guide for the day. And she is a hoot. She's absolutely great. And, you know, I, I mean, the feedback that we got was just brilliant. And so this year, I've put on a mountain bike journey, as well as the beginning mountain biking course. And we're going to go on a two day journey we're going to stay overnight your luggage gets transported and a lot of people that did the beginning course are now coming on that so it's a kind of it's just great for Ruth to see the progression of her clients is so important to see people develop to that point where they're enjoying the activity to the level that Ruth appreciates it must be so fulfilling Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, one woman said it's just been the most magic thing. I never thought I could do anything like this. And, you know, it's just been magic for me. So lovely to hear that. Yeah. I thought this was a wonderful moment, actually a very opportune moment for Ruth to share a little bit more about what Element offers Yeah, I mean, it was interesting for me because, you know, I said uh, I'm a literature specialist and I was a head of faculty and I'd had a career in education, a big career in education. I had a really demanding job and I got to the age of 50 and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I've loved it and I'm at the end of the road with it. And am I going to sit in for another 10 years and wait to retire sort of thing? And, and I couldn't. I've got a real adventurous spirit about me. So I took a massive plunge, really. And I left a, a very well-paid job in an international sixth form school, a fascinating place, Atlantic College. And, and I set up Element. And anybody that set up a business, and particularly if you set up a business later in life, knows it's it's a jolly hard pushing a boulder uphill really i i didn't set it up initially to do with women it sort of evolved i'm not anti man at all but i just see that there is a real richness in groups of women working together particularly when they are learning something new 
mountain biking, fell running, whatever it might be, and that there is a supportiveness that is not there when I work in the same way when I work with a mixed group. So, you know, I have run mixed groups and men are quite happy to throw themselves down mountains running. They start to compete with each other very, very quickly. And women just applaud each other all the time. It's just fantastic. You know, they're not judging. They're they're all in the same boat. They're sharing quite deep things. I mean, you know, we don't, on our weekend courses, I'm sort of digressing a little bit here, but on our weekend courses, we don't do our introductions until lunchtime on Saturday, because I think people just need to get into the weekend a bit before they do. And we do our introductions over lunch on the Saturday. And it's a really moving time. We need boxes of tissues. I mean, it's just great to hear people talking about themselves and sharing things about themselves in this sort of way. And there's hardly a woman in the room that hasn't got something that they want other people to hear. It's just been great. And part of the weekends that we run is an unpacking of that. And you wouldn't get that if you ran mixed courses. And I have said to women, I'm running this kind of a weekend. Do you know, do you think there's any mileage in opening it to you and you, you and your partners? Because then I can get two people in double rooms and things like that. And they go like, no, no, we don't want to come with our partners. We don't want to come with our husbands. We want to come with our friends and we want it to be all women. So I, when I set up the business, I didn't start off with all women. But it's just evolved very quickly into being mainly about women. I do think that, yeah, the building of confidence is a really different animal. And I couldn't run the beginning foul running course that I have in the same format for men because one of the whole one of the whole sessions is on confidence. So yeah. That's that's that. So I yeah, when I set up the business, it wasn't really. Uh, I've got these kind of two strands in my life. I've got these real creative sort of my literature and the creative, and I write and things like that. And then I've got the whole sports side of me as well. And I did also start off running creative courses. I called them a sense of place, and we had two fantastic weekend courses in a gorgeous location and we were writing and we were doing all sorts of creative things it was really lovely but one of the things I realized is that the participants for those events and the participants for the sports kind of based things were very very different and there was no overlap whatsoever so I very quickly decided I can't run these two branches it's like running two businesses really mm-hmm. so I have to run one and so I decided to, there was much more demand for what I was doing in this in the kind of sports type stuff I mean one of the things that I do do now very very consciously is to bring in a lot of environmental stuff to the outdoor courses that I'm that I'm actually running so nobody comes on the beginning fell running course and doesn't get a bit of input about the landscape or what we're seeing or what's happening and why is the landscape like this and so on I've been doing a lot of volunteer working with a charity called Stump Up for Trees which is a local charity in the Brecon Beacons the idea is to plant a million trees and I'm actually putting on a not-for-profit fell race and raising money for them. They're doing wonderful work. They're working with farmers to put big hedgerows back in. They've tree-planted a whole mountainside down here in the Brecon Beacons. Uh, Wonderful charity. They've just bypassed government, basically. 
and there's not much better that you can do at the moment than planting trees, I think, and hedgerows and wildlife and so on. I've been fascinated by what Ruth has been saying and particularly about what Element offers and what Ruth has been involved with locally, about being active, about sharing the joy of being active, but also her knowledge of the landscape. Yeah, I think it's really interesting and I'd I'd read quite a few of her articles that she'd had in the media and in The Guardian recently and there was one with Antonia Bolingbroke-Kent and she came on one of Element's courses and she said exactly that about how they were out in the landscape together and learning to appreciate the landscape and there was a review too and the woman wrote that she was so pleased that Ruth had highlighted more about the landscape to her than she'd actually noticed she was delighted that Ruth had highlighted to her and to the group rather than just running through and treating it as a green gym, a green space. And, yeah, I, I, that really struck a chord with me. I know who that was. Well, that was Kate Rawls. Yes. She's a, she's a friend, but she came on our beginning mountain biking weekend mm-hmm. and she got in touch with me. And, she, you know, Kate has built a bicycle from bamboo, took it to South America and then cycled the length of South America on this bike on her own Mm. and the the basis for the book that came out of it and the ride was really looking at environmental issues so when Kate wrote to me and said hey Ruth I'd love to come on your beginning mountain biking course I said Kate you cycled across the (laughs) Atacama desert I don't think you need to come on the beginning mountain biking course and she said no 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 no. I haven't done any mountain biking I'd love to come I said well look come give us a talk at the end of day one about what you've done and just come and be a part of it and it was fabulous to have her along she was she was absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant in her talk and yeah highlighted loads of really interesting stuff for us but was just a you know was just kind of like yeah I thought that what she said about you know you'd not treating this like our green gym was just spot on yeah this was brilliant but I was pretty sure that there was something that Ruth wanted to mention about racing that we hadn't touched on earlier you know, I mean, it's quite interesting looking back. I see my fell running career as being in kind of different stages, really. So I started off in the UK on all the kind of Lake District mountains and the Scottish mountains and so on. And then I found Europe and then I, I found sky running in Europe, which is an absolute joy because it goes up really high mountains. Um, whereas fell races in the UK don't tend to be flagged, marked courses. You have to have a, a sort of a certain degree of nous to get around them and find the checkpoints and so on. European races will always be flagged, I think, largely because if you go off course, you're probably likely to kill yourself. But yeah, no, I mean, I just love the European racing scene. Uh, it was just great big long races in Switzerland and northern Italy and made so many friends out there glorious scenery just just spent my whole summers really racing around the huge mountains of Europe which was absolutely wonderful and and I think the Europeans have a different approach to mountain racing thoroughly in Britain less so now becoming much more popular I'm mind blown at the number of women competing now it's still 
it's still a fairly male-dominated sport. It's a very niche sport. I mean, it's always had its kind of roots in lack of commercialization, which for the world that we're living in today, I think is is very interesting. It's still managed to retain that. So you don't win big prize money in the UK. And it's not all sort of fancy and so on. But the European scene is is very different, but they get whole communities behind a race. You know, if I was putting on a race in my whole town, the whole town would be behind it. Everybody would be out on the mountain and on the streets and so on. There's a there's a very different ambience to it in Europe. So you become kind of quite a heroine, you know, if you're winning these races out there and stuff. So I loved all of that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing atmosphere that must have been in those European events. That feeling of achievement and of having the whole community behind you. However, I figured it must have been tough financially back then in the sport. So I asked Ruth if, as an international champion fell runner, she was supported through funding or sponsorship. No, I mean... This was, I think if I was running now at this sort of level, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to lead my life in the way that I, I did leave, lead it then. I was always working full time. I was always training very hard. I had sponsorship from Salomon, uh, who are a running, running wear. They started off making skis. They're now huge in outdoor gear. I got all of my kit from them. I never got any money. They probably now give me money. And when racing in Europe, I did win a fairly substantial amount of prize money, uh, but not enough to do it full time. And in fact, I'm kind of glad I didn't do it like professionally. I think the pressure on you then really changes. So, no, didn't ever do it fully, fully professionally, but actually glad that I didn't. What an experience that must have been. So as we come to the end of the conversation, I share with Ruth how fascinating I have found it learning about her life. And I thank her for what she's done and what she's offering, what she's giving to other women, because it's an absolute gift. With all that experience that she has behind her, it's a gift that she is now offering to other women who are not feeling so confident about themselves and about their ability. So, yes, on behalf of everybody, I thank Ruth for that. We just need more people like Ruth that can just do that for women. But I ask her the question that I ask every woman that comes onto Head Right Out. I ask her if she has a Head Right Out moment where she can say that she honestly stepped out of her comfort zone in the outdoors. Something that she thought she was never going to be able to do. But she did it and she achieved it and she benefited as a result. I think, for me, I think it was it was taking up fell racing I would say it's it's interesting because as you get better, you want to get better. So you keep notching it up. And every time it was notched up, it was a new stepping out of my comfort zone. So going from racing in the UK to racing on the continent was a step up. Running for Great Britain, running my first marathon really well. All of these things were stepping 
out of my comfort zone. Uh, I mean, I look back at my life and I think, actually, you've been quite good at stepping out of your comfort zone, Ruth. You know, at the age of 50, I gave up a really well-paid job and totally stepped out of my comfort zone to form an element. And, and I didn't need to do that. And I think it keeps you alive. I think it keeps you on your toes. I think it keeps you saying, what the hell am I doing? Will I be okay? Am I going to reach something that I, I can't go any any further with here? So I would say, for me, Zoe, that's been it. At every juncture, I've gone on to the next thing, really, and the next, the next step up and the next step up and constantly challenged myself with that. And at the age of 39, I started to run marathons. And I'm really glad I didn't do this earlier. I had the invitation quite early on in my running career to go and become a professional marathon runner. You know, I was told I would go to the Olympics, I could do it, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, I want to run in the mountains. And they couldn't believe it. And they said, you want to run in the mountains? You want to do British fell running where you win a pair of socks? Uh, and I said, uh, yeah, I do really. And so I I didn't take that option back in my early 30s. And I started running marathons. No, it would have been earlier than that, 20, 28, 27. And I started running marathons when I was 39. And I'm jolly glad I didn't do them any earlier because I think that they don't do your, your body any good. I mean, I have people coming on the, my fell running courses and they're going like, and I'm going to run a marathon next year. And I want to say, don't do it. Go and try running on the mountains and don't wreck your body. And so running marathons at the age of 39, I did very well. I ran London, I ran New York, I was in the prizes in New York and so on. And yeah, that was that was another massive challenge for me. It's a completely different animal running a marathon well to running on the mountains well. So all of those things have involved stepping out of my comfort zone, really. Yeah. Ruth is amazing. That was so fabulous. And I told Ruth how absolutely wonderful it was to talk to her. And I thanked her and asked her where people can find her online or on the socials if they want to find out more, because I am sure there's going to be a lot of women who want to find out more about Element. Thank Fantastic you. Fantastic to talk to you, Zoe. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm on website element-active.co.uk I'm on Facebook Element Active UK and I'm on Instagram Element Active so any any of those combos and I'm on Twitter as Ruth Vance. Of course, as always I'll put all of those links in the show notes and when I asked Ruth if there was anything that she wanted to mention that we hadn't touched on previously in the episode her response made us both laugh. No, I think it's when you said we're going to talk for 50 minutes, I was thinking, I can't talk for 50 minutes. And I suddenly <laughs> somehow have managed to. So, <laughs> And if yeah. I didn't have to use the loo, I, could have, I think we could probably talk for another 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, Ruth Pickvins, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. And and I hope we're going to meet again sometime soon because we are literally neighbours. We're literally, <laughs> we're literally not that far from each. I'll probably see you out of my window, Zoe, yes. actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye for now. 
I realised after our conversation that I hadn't prompted Ruth to share what that fast marathon time that she'd achieved all those years back actually was. At the age of 40, her PB for a marathon was just two hours, 45 minutes. Whoa, I can't even begin to comprehend that, except that it's truly impressive. It's not something that's in my capability sphere. I just, yeah, but how amazing. Ruth is such an expert in the field of facing fears and stretching her comfort zone and challenging herself and now over the last 10 years facilitating other people to do the same. You only have to search Ruth's name on Google to see for yourself the wide array of people who've turned up on her courses and have now gone on to write cracking reviews, social media posts or use the experience to form the basis of a newspaper or magazine article. And brownies on her. I'll let you all know when I do finally get myself onto one of Ruth's beginning mountain biking courses. I'm really looking forward to that. Active Days and Wild Ways is the strapline for Element. Make sure you subscribe to Ruth's newsletter because it has so many positive, wild, environmental features as well as all the information on her new activities and events that she's got coming up in the Element Diary. It all feels very personal and I really like that in a newsletter. Okay, so this week's Head Right Out moment. We are sticking around the area of the Brecon Beacons for today's moment. This has been sent in by Lou Lloyd. She says, I spent eight nights just before Christmas camping on my own in woods on the west edge of the Brecon Beacons. I had time off work, but no friends willing to camp in the cold. I've wild camped for a few years now, but always with at least one other. To make the transition to solo camping feel more manageable, I stayed at Gorsty, a small holding farm with a wooded valley that they're rewilding. They allow wild camping in specific areas of the woods, each with its own fire pit. I pitched by the river, my water source, and cooked all my meals on the fire. There was also an open-to-the-elements compost toilet, a short walk into the wood. I did have to work at feeling okay, with 15 hours of darkness alone with the trees, but the whole experience was exhilarating, life-affirming, and rewarding. So much so that I'm returning in February for a couple of months And this time, I will be woofing every day, learning what's involved in rewilding woodland and how it feels to spend the coldest part of the year under canvas. Oh, Lou, that is incredible. I want to go and do that. That, yeah, that sounds amazing. Now, woofing, for those people that haven't listened to Ursula's episode, which was episode 10, I think. Woofing is spelt W-W-O-O-F-I-N-G and it stands for either Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms or Willing Workers on Organic Farms. It's a volunteering thing and yeah, just a really, really great way to help work the land and 
yeah, put some positive energy back into the earth. Thank you so much, Lou, for sending that in. Yeah, it was just perfect because it fitted in really well with the theme of element in the Brecon Beacons and then your camping in the Brecon Beacons. So yeah, I'd love to hear how you get on with your rewilding as well. I'm guessing you've started that now because we're into February. Uh, Yeah, so please let us know. Okay, in other news, I'm going to be taking a short break, a little earlier than I'd originally planned, as I'm desperately in need of some space and time to deal with a number of family things that we've got going on. But I promise I will be back here with Head Right Out very soon, bringing you more conversations with incredible yet ordinary, like you and me, ordinary, resilient women. Let me know your thoughts too, please, on this episode format. You can find me on any of the socials as Head Right Out or email me, zoe at headrightout.com. I'd love to hear what you think. I know this particular episode was perhaps a little bit rough around the audio edges in places, but with a properly connected mic next time, is this something that you enjoyed with the added music tracks or do you prefer my original format? I really, really would love to hear what you think. Please don't forget to vote for Head Right Out in the Best Urban and Adventure category in the Sports Podcast Awards too. You'll find the link in the show notes. So thank you. If you could go and do that, that would be great. Thank you then for being here and thank you for all the love on social media that you've been offering and thank you for the awards votes and the comments and thank you to all the amazing guests who have shared their wisdom, their time and their support for the show. If you've been inspired by any of my guests, please Go and make those plans to step out of your comfort zone and then do it. Oh my gosh, I'd so love to hear how you get on. And I know the guests would love to hear that too. Because that's the reason they come on, because they believe in the message that I am trying to deliver. Thank you so much, everybody. Head right out hugs to you all. 